My name's Sammy. I'm another of the elders of the church here. And Pete's just asked if I'd come and share with you guys this evening. So I'm looking forward to all that we've got planned. We've been going through a series of the parables. We're just going to take a slight break from that for a week. And we're going to look at a different passage uh, in Second Corinthians. So just before we turn to that, in fact, let's turn to it now. So if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to turn to Second Corinthians chapter 4, uh, starting in verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. And skipping ahead to verse 16, it says this, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I'd like to go on a bit of a journey this evening and look at a question or this question of how do we live with an eternal perspective on life? How do we live with an eternal perspective on life. Let's just pray and then we'll get started. Father, thank you for your goodness. Father, thank you that you love each and every single person that finds himself here this evening. God, as we take some time to look at some really, really big questions about life, I pray would you come And would you speak to our hearts? God, as we look into your word for some incredible answers, God, would you just cement the things that you're trying to say? In Jesus' name, amen. I'm just going to introduce a clip to you. I don't know if anybody's seen this before. Hang on, hang on. (laughs) But just to give you a pre-warning, this was banned by the independent television committee and I'll explain a little bit more why that was but let me introduce the clip and then I'll come back
life is short. I don't know if you've seen that before. <laughs> the uh, Independent Television Committee said that uh, it considered that the final scene of a body smashing into its grave was unnecessary and had caused considerable distress to many viewers. I can understand that. We live in a culture that doesn't want to talk about death. We live in a culture that doesn't want to talk about the shortness of life. We live in a culture that doesn't want to ask questions about what happens to us after we die. But what if this life, what if this life was not all that there is? Sometimes not until we faced or we're faced with the reality of death that we think about this. The Bible says it in a few places. In Job chapter 8, he says it like this, For we were born only yesterday and know nothing, and our days on earth are but a shadow. David prayed in the Psalms, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered. How fleeting my life is. Life is short. First Corinthians, or sorry, Second Corinthians chapter 4, we just looked at it there, in the last few verses says this, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. If there's one thing that I could convince people of, it would be this, that this life is not all that there is. If there's one thing that I could convince the church of, it would be that this life is not all that there is. If there's one thing that I could convince my friends of, it would be that this life is not all that there is. If there's one thing that I could convince Edinburgh of, it would be this, that this life is not all that there is. The Bible makes this claim in 1 John 2, 17. It says this, The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. It's a big thought. When you fully grasp that there's more to this life than just the here and the now, I assure you, you will begin to live life slightly differently. Maybe you came to church this evening thinking you might hear a happy message and you're saying, Sammy, this is a bit depressing. Why are we talking about death this evening? But it's actually unhealthy to live in denial of death and not consider what is inevitable. It would actually be more beneficial, I think, to think about life after death more, not less. Rick Warren put it like this. If we could fully grasp this truth, it would revolutionize the way we live our lives. Rather than living for the here and the now, you will start living in light of eternity. And that will change the way you handle everything. Every relationship you have, every job you do, 
and every circumstance you find yourself in. C.S. Lewis put it like this, all that is not eternal is eternally useless. Maybe you're saying tonight, Sammy, I know that. I've heard that before. I'm a Christian. Then my simple question or my simple challenge to you this evening is are you living a life in that way? Do you live life like that? Do you make decisions based on eternity or on the here and now? That's a challenging question. And I challenge myself in that. Do you make choices based on eternity or what feels good? Does your life reflect eternity or the here and the now? Does it change the way you view money? Do you store up treasures here on earth? Or do you give your money to kingdom purposes? Do you give generously to extend the things and the plans that God wants to do here on earth? How do you view relationships? Is it about what you can get out of them? Or actually is it what I can give to them? And how I can share with people what God has done in my life? How do you view your time? How do you view your job? How do you view your family? How do you view your hobbies? How do you view church? How do you view your entire life? Does it change the way that you view it? It should. I was doing some research on the internet, as you do, and uh, I was looking at some facts about time and about life, trying to put some of these things in perspective, and I thought I'd share just a few things with you this evening. Did you know, on average, uh, that people spend about a third of their lives asleep? It's crazy, isn't it? I know for some of you this evening, that's probably a little bit more. If you live about 80 years in your lifetime, do you know that you'll spend about 13 months and a week on the toilet? I know for some of you that's particularly longer, but I'll not tell you who. The average person eats about three meals a day, maybe on top of that some other snacks. That gives a rough estimate that actually you spend about six years of your life eating. I know for some of you that's particularly more than that. Here's the one that really annoyed me. The average person throughout their lifetime spends five years waiting in lines and queues. We do hear this. Six months of that is waiting at traffic lights. Isn't that frustrating? And the last one, on average, people spend about four years doing housework. That's terrible. I could imagine that it's probably higher for me, I think. Many of you might know a guy called Steve Jobs, uh, who died recently, who worked for Apple. He was talking to uh, the university, and before he died, he made a speech, and he said this, your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life. I would go a little bit further than that and say, your time is limited, so don't waste it. Live for God. Life is short. Life is short. And in comparison to that, this passage also talks about eternity. And the second thing I want to say, 
It might not be rocket science, but it's simply this. Eternity is forever. Maybe that's not new to you tonight. That's what it means. Eternity is forever. Let's just read those verses again. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Do you know that you were made to last forever? God designed you so that each one of us would live for eternity. Even though everyone eventually dies, there's one po- there'll be one point in your life where your, your breathing will stop, your heart will stop pumping, your brain will stop processing. But the Bible says that will not be the end of you. Your earthly body is just a temporary residence for your spirit. The reason that we feel sometimes that we should live forever is that God has actually wired eternity into our brains. It says in Ecclesiastes 3.11, God has planted eternity in the human heart. Do you know, as a culture, sometimes we try to avoid some of these questions. We don't want, I suppose, to enter into the reality that the choices that we make today in life might just carry an eternal significance. That's a scary thought. That right now here in Gorgie, in Edinburgh, the choices that we make today and the choices that we make tomorrow, the Bible claims, will have an eternal significance. Jesus went further and he said this, actually, the choices that you make about me will determine your eternal destiny. He says in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Wow. That's either an extremely arrogant statement, which isn't true, or it is the most incredible statement that a man has ever made, and the most important, and we ought to take note. See, the Bible makes this claim that while earth offers many choices, what car you drive, what computer you have, what time you get up in the morning, what job or career that you pursue, eternity offers only two. Eternity with God or eternity without Him. Now, nobody in their right mind would choose eternity without God, right? But you see, by choosing to live without God in this life, we actually choose to live without Him forever. C.S. Lewis put it like this. He said, there are only two kinds of of people, those who say to God, Thy will be done, or those to whom God in the end says, Thy will be done. All those who end up in eternity without God end up there because they choose it. The Bible says in Romans, For we all stand before God's judgment seat. Each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Do you know that one day 
we will stand before God. That's the claim of the Bible. And if you like, he will do a this is your life. Now here's the thing. People think at this point, God will start to look at the things that I've done, balance and weigh them up to the things that maybe I didn't do or the wrong things that I did balanced up with the things that I did do or the good deeds against the bad deeds or the nice things against the not so nice things. But you know what? God actually isn't bothered about that. He won't ask about your religious background. He won't ask about your theological views. He's actually concerned very simply with this. What did you do with my son, Jesus? You see, there's nothing that we can do to earn a life with God forever. The Bible makes this claim that Jesus, or by accepting Jesus as number one in our life, That is the only way that you can be with God forever. The only thing that will matter is, did you accept what Jesus did on the cross? And did you learn to love and trust him? Maybe you've heard this many, many times. Maybe you're thinking, Sammy, I've heard this. But you know what? We have a lot of people come and journey through our church. We have a lot of people that come that are asking big questions. And I really encourage you, if you're in that place, just to keep doing that. But my big question for you this evening is very simply this. Have you made that decision? Have you come to a place where you can make that decision and say, Jesus, I want to make you Lord of my life. We're going to take a bit of time at the end of the service um, and give you that opportunity. So life is short. This life is short. Eternity is forever. The next thing I want to look at is, and this is incredible, God chooses us for a purpose. Actually, for his purpose. Let's just go to the start of that passage again. It says this, Starting in verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. Do you know that the reason that you exist is not for you? might sound slightly controversial this evening. Contrary to popular opinion, the reason that you exist is far bigger than your own satisfaction. It's even far bigger than your own happiness. Although I believe God wants you to be full of joy. You were made by God and for His glory. You were made by God and for His glory. It says this in Colossians 1.16. For by him all things were created, 
in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through him, for him. That's a big thought. The only reason that we exist here today is to bring glory to God. When Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthians, he uses this analogy of treasure in jars of clay. I suppose back in the day you could buy what was called pottery lamps or jars of clay for a few pence in the Corinthian market. And he's using this analogy of treasure in jars of clay and describing us like jars of clay. Like common pottery, Paul is saying, we are fragile, flawed, and we break easily. But here's the incredible news. God chooses us. He wants to put his treasure inside of us and then use us for his eternal plans and purposes. The most incredible news is that God, the creator, wants to be in partnership with you. He wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to carry his treasure, the treasure that he loves people, the treasure that he wants to connect with them, the treasure that he died for them. He wants you to carry that treasure. God wants to use you to move his eternal plans and purposes forward. Many of you might remember that Andrew uh, Owen, Andrew Owen looks after the the network of churches, uh, the network of Destiny churches uh, around the UK. He was speaking with us uh, a number of months uh, and weeks ago, and he was giving the opportunity to ask questions. He's saying, you know, I've been around for a bit and giving a kind of open mic, open floor space and saying, ask anything within reason, maybe about life or about the Bible or questions that you have about things. And I took the opportunity to ask him, Andrew, in 25 years of church planting, 25 years of pioneering, 25 years of kind of doing stuff with the church and, and looking after people, what has been the biggest I suppose, lesson that you've learned. I don't think I said it like that, but something along those lines. And he said very simply but profoundly, I'm continually amazed that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. I'm continually amazed that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things things. Sometimes you think God would never use me, but God is never limited by our weakness. God loves to use weak people. Amen. God triumphs amid human weakness. It says in 1 Corinthians 1.27, I love this verse, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Paul says later on in Corinthians, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 
Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. God chooses to use weak, sinful men like myself to push his eternal plans and purposes forward on this earth. Wow, that's amazing. I get to be a carrier of this treasure, the gospel. Why? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to me. Mal Fletcher put it like this, looking at the story of the Bible and history. He says this, he used Abraham to move his promise forward. He used Joseph to move his provision forward. He used Moses to move freedom forward. He used David to move victory forward. He used Solomon to move his peace forward. He used Elijah to move righteous worship forward. He used Elisha to move miracles forward. He used Isaiah to move messianic vision forward. He used Daniel to move prophecy forward. He used the apostles to move the gospel forward. He used Paul to move the church forward. And through Jesus, the whole world was moved forward. God wants to use you in pushing his plans and purposes forward. The question is, what does God want to move forward in you? Maybe a better question to ask is, what drives your life? Or what is driving your life? Is it God's plans and purposes? Or are they yours? We had a chance uh, just the week past to go out on the streets of Glasgow with Destiny College and the Destiny College students. It's quite an exciting but uh, sometimes scary moment. But we were just kind of inviting people to church, uh, taking a moment to kind of just chat with people about different issues and different questions about life. And we got chatting to a guy uh, who was uh, going to Strathclyde University. And as we got chatting, he was just sharing about, I suppose he'd come to university to get a degree, good thing to do. But after that, he was wanting to do a master's. And after that, he was going to do a PhD. And his driving force in his life, I suppose, he admitted was that he wanted to prove his dad wrong. He shared at 12 years old, his dad walked out on him and moved to China. And ever since that, he said he's been, I suppose, trying to earn his father's approval. And so his whole driving force in his life, getting the master's and the PhD, was all to gain his father's approval. Many people are driven by many different things. Maybe you're driven by guilt. Maybe you're driven by fear. Maybe you're driven by materialism. Or like my friend Matthew, the need for approval. Many people are driven by many things, but still don't feel that they have a purpose in life. But do you know that God has a plan and a purpose for each one of us? Paul's purpose and ours, he says in verse 11, is this. We serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. In other words, Paul is saying, My whole existence is that Jesus Christ would be evident in my life. 
Again, when we stand before God at the end of this life, he's going to ask us, what did you do with your life? This question won't necessarily determine, it won't determine where you end up for eternity, but it will determine what you do. What did you do with your life? What did you do with the gifts that I gave you? What did you do with the opportunities that I provided for you? What did you do with the relationships and the friendships that I put you in? What did you do with the resources that I gave you? Did you use them for yourself? Or did you use them for my eternal plans and purposes? Jesus puts it in a slightly different way. In Matthew 16, 25, he says it like this. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus makes this claim. If you live a sold out life for him, then all that you'll gain is life. Life, eternal life. Everything else is secondary. And so I just want to encourage this evening to ask that question. What is God wanting to move forward in my life? Maybe a better way of putting it is, what is your greatest passion? What is your greatest frustration? What really frustrates you about the world that we live in today? What really gets you going? What really enthuses you? What has God called you to move forward for him? God wants to move forward his plans and purposes by using each one of us. Life is short. Eternity is forever. God chooses us for his purposes. And the last thing I just want to pull out of these verses is that if we can grasp some of these very simple truths, then I believe it gives us hope. Hope in all circumstances. I don't know if you know much about Paul. I don't know if you've ever read the Bible. But the question that I always ask about Paul is, how on earth... Did he keep going? I mean, this guy had gone through so much stuff. And yet he just keeps on keeping on. Here's some of the things he mentions later on in 2 Corinthians. He says this, Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with baseball bats. Once I was pelted with massive stones Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger from the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Anyone else want that life? How does Paul keep on going? Sounds crazy, doesn't it? I don't know if you've ever felt like giving up. The best kind of analogy that I I can use for this is when I was once training uh, for the marathon. People talk about this expression of hitting the wall. Have you heard of that before? A few people. 
And when you're training for the marathon or when you're actually running the marathon, you get to a point where you almost feel like you're hitting a physical wall. You don't actually hit a wall. But what happens is your body just starts to say, what are you doing? Stop running. Physically, you feel, I don't think I can keep going. I don't feel like I can do this. And you've got to mentally kind of keep going and pushing yourself. I don't know if you've been in that situation in life before. Maybe you find yourself in a situation where you thought, I don't know if I'm going to make, make it through. I don't know if I can keep going. So what is Paul's secret? We're just going to finish by looking at a few things. He says it again. We've read this a few times, but let's read it again. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Paul lets us in, if you like, to some of his spiritual secrets for enduring. The first one is this. Paul and ourselves can endure when we value spiritual strength over physical strength. Paul says our inner man is being renewed day by day. You see, he knew what was going on in the inside was what really mattered. In one sense, his physical body was dying. In one sense, all of our physical bodies are dying. But what mattered to him was what was going in on the inside. That's what made him a man of endurance. He knew that God was at work on the inside through all his difficult challenges. His inner man, that's the heart, that's the soul, that's the real self, that's the eternal part of us that lives forever. How much as a culture do we place importance on physical appearance and our physical bodies rather than what's going on on the inside? How, how much time do we spend on our physical bodies rather than what's going in on our heart or on in our heart? Paul is saying No matter what's going on on the outside, even though I'm wasting away, I'm getting pounded with this stuff, on the inside, I'm being renewed. That's a present continuous work that he talks about over and over again after trouble and trouble, even though outwardly I'm wasting away, inwardly I'm getting bigger and I'm overcoming every challenge. I'm not concerned about what's going on on the outside. I'm concerned about what's going on on the inside. When that happens, Christ starts to work inside you. God starts to fill your life. His power comes into your life. And you can overcome any challenge that comes your way. The second thing that Paul found was that you will endure, or you can endure, when you value the future over the present. Paul's making it clear that the current challenges matter so little to him in light of the great future reality. Perspective here is crucial. It's looking, I suppose, at earth from heaven's point of view. All these things that are going on on the outside, 
All these troubles and challenges mean nothing compared to the comparison of future glory and heaven. The current challenges matter so little to him in light of the great future reality. I'm not saying that pain is not pain. I'm not denying that stuff that happens to us is tough. I know there are people here in the church that have gone through some horrendous things over the last few weeks and months. But what Paul is trying to do, he's trying to encourage us to look at these things in light of eternity. What challenges are you going through at the moment? All of us are facing. Are you focusing on the problem? Or are you focusing on the one who can redeem you from it? The one that can help you overcome. The one that can help you sustain you. Do you know I believe we'll not be in heaven more than a few seconds before we say, why did I place so much importance on things that were so temporary? What was I thinking? Why did I waste so much time, energy, and concern on what wasn't going to last? When life gets tough, when you feel overwhelmed about things, when you wonder if living this faith life for Christ is worth the effort, just remember that you're not home yet. Rick Warren said it like this, at death, you won't leave home you'll go home. Life is short. Eternity is forever. God chooses to use us for his eternal plans and purposes if we allow him. And living like this will give us hope in every circumstance that we find ourselves in. I want to encourage you, church, to live with a, an eternal perspective on life. Build an eternal legacy. Live for God and others rather than for yourself and stuff. I want us to be a church that builds an eternal legacy, that makes an impact on the culture and the city that we are, find ourselves in for the glory of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you challenge and encourage us to not stay stationary, but to move forward. God, I thank you that your word, your truth, helps us to live in the light that this life is so short, just a shadow in what eternity has for us. God, I thank you that you choose us, that you choose us and choose to use us to move your plans and purposes forward in this earth. God, I thank you that no matter what happens to us in life, God, no matter what circumstances and challenges that we find ourselves in, we can have hope in the light of eternity. God, would you help us live like that? God, it's so easy to slip into just doing life and getting caught up with stuff. But would you help us live 
life in the perspective of eternity. I just want to do a few things this evening, just very briefly before we finish. The first thing that I'd like to do, just as you continue to pray, I encourage you just to continue to pray. I want to do something that's very important. I said earlier that we don't make an assumption that everyone that comes here to destiny maybe has faith. Maybe you've not made or taken a step tonight to make Jesus number one in your life. Maybe you've been on a journey asking big questions about life and maybe for the first time tonight some of those things have just started to become real. Maybe tonight the penny has just started to drop. Maybe you're saying, Sammy, I need God in my life. I need God in my life. I don't know if I die tonight where I would end up. And I'm not here to emotionally manipulate you. But I do want to give you an opportunity just to respond to some of the things that I've said. And I want to encourage you, if you're here tonight and you're saying, Samuel, I want to make a commitment to God. I want to turn from my old life and live for Him. Then I just want to do something very simple and, and lead you in a prayer. So I'm going to pray in a moment. I just encourage you to pray it under your breath. This is between you and God. Just pray like this. God, thank you that you love me. God, thank you that you have chosen me. God, I recognize that I've been living a life for self. God, I recognize that I've done stuff in my life that's just completely contrary to what you want me to do. And God, I recognize that what you did on the cross was that you died for every single thing that I have done wrong. And I accept your forgiveness. And God, I choose to turn away from my old life. And I choose to live for you. I put you number one in my life. And I choose to follow as best as I can day by day to live for you. Amen. Hi, I hope that today's message has helped you. If you want to find out more about us as a church, download more audio teaching, give us feedback, or make a contribution to our ongoing work and mission here in Edinburgh, please visit our website at destinyedinburgh.com. May God continue the great work that he is doing in your life.